Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. My name is Bill Wirtz and I'm joined once again by my favorite co-host, Fabio Fernandez. Although I probably shouldn't say favorite because Elizabeth Hicks joined us recently and we don't want to pick favorites uh, with co-hosts. But uh, Fabio, how's it going? Um, I uh, saw you launch now a Portuguese uh, version of a Consumer podcast at the CCC. So first, how are you doing and how is that uh, new podcast going? Hey, Bill, thanks for having me. Um, I'm always very happy to be here with you to talk about consumers' issues and everything. And yeah, we launched our first uh, Portuguese podcast. It's going to be about consumer issues as well, but we're going to focus also on talking about brands, everything that is consumer-related, uh, news, innovations. We're going to bring people from uh, different sectors and industries to talk about what's coming up in the pipeline products and regulations of course because that always interferes with consumer choice it absolutely does so for those uh, portuguese speaking uh, listeners on this program uh, of course they can go on consumerchoicecenter.org to find it but what's the name of the podcast the name of the podcast is liberdade para escolher which means free to choose and it's very much based on milton friedman's book so I think people are going to like him. We love us some Milton Friedman, so we're going to put a link uh, uh, to the podcast in the description of uh, of this episode. Uh, this is the episode of March 17. I think we're in episode 66 or something right now, and uh, it's actually St. Patrick's Day. So, um, so uh, Fabio, look, I'm not a not a St. Patrick's Day guy. I know like cities that I've lived in that even colored the river green or something like that. Do you celebrate? Are you are you going out for St. Patrick's Day? Uh, I usually go to the pub near my home. Uh, I really love some green beer uh, in St. Patrick's Day, which is basically just a normal beer with uh, blue pigment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's fun. Everybody's out. Uh, I think it's usually it's the beginning of uh, spring. So everybody's out. The weather is a little bit better. So I really enjoy going out and having a beer. The horrors of the public health nannies when they see when they see St. Patrick's Day is like all the drinking, all the alcohol consumption. My God, horrible. Um, but uh, we we're going to talk about well one issue, and it kind of dominates uh, the entire continent right now, obviously. And it's it's not as much of a jolly issue as St. Patrick's Day is. Uh, the war in Ukraine is continuing now. Uh, Fabio, you, you pre-recording, you reminded me that we talked about uh, energy dependency of Europe before, and and, and uh, you even knew the. the the episode and what we talked about there so just remind the listeners that we've covered this before yeah we did in episode 44 if the listeners want to go back and listen to it uh, we talked about how we were worried worried about inflation especially driven or driven by uh, electric prices and gas prices and of course at that time we couldn't imagine that something like that would happen in ukraine uh, but we were talking about how the European Union was so dependent in Russia in terms of energy. We talked about how 27% of Europe's oil come from uh, Russia, 42% of Europe's gas, and 47% of Europe's coal come, everything, all, all those things come from, from Russia. So we were very worried about, uh, especially talking about the new Green Deal and how the, this would affect consumers. Uh, and yeah, we couldn't imagine that this would happen so fast. Uh, but things are starting to change in the European Union. You probably know more about that, but the Commission is trying to diversify a little bit more. I know here in Italy we are turning on some uh, thermal uh, energy uh, instead of using uh, what we have been using in the past. So uh, it, it's good news in the sense that we can now uh, focus on diversifying a little bit more our energy sources. Uh, but it, that comes with sad news, of course, coming from, from that side of Europe. 
it all feels a little too late, um, uh, unfortunately. And it, it's good that there's a reversal now. I know that with uh, with Luca Bertoletti uh, last week we talked about sort of Italy's uh, uh, branching out, going to Algeria, going to Qatar. I thought very interesting that Algeria says it can about double its uh, its, its its current supply of gas, uh, natural gas. Um, also recently wrote a piece for the Dispatch in uh, in the US where I sort of lined out sort of the 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 energy momentum for for Africa now African countries such as Ghana, Tanzania, Mozambique, Nigeria, um, which all can either export natural gas through pipelines, even though there's a bit of an infrastructure pro- problem there, but also countries like Ghana with an LNG. So a lot of, uh, n- you know, sort of, well, in our minds, newcomers now entering the scene and sort of picking and choosing allies as to as to where we go. Because one thing is clear is that, well, I mean, we pre-record this podcast, so we don't know by the time we broadcast what may have changed, even though I hope the Russians lost by then. But um, it's also clear that no matter what, the sanctions are here to stay longer, even necessarily than the war. Um, Because I think it's unlikely that there's going to be a solution in which we say, oh, my bad. I mean, the Russians got it wrong or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen. So we're going to end up with a situation where we need long term alternatives. Um, And and yeah, it's 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 difficult to see how quickly the European Commission can do something like that. They pause the energy strategy now. So, for instance, something in the energy strategy that they laid out was hydrogen, blue hydrogen. But blue hydrogen is made from natural gas. So again, there they were really banking on natural gas, especially cheap one from from Russia. Even in the calculations as to how much it costs to to run the entire operations, the infrastructure, and so on, the price of Russian gas was part of it which is, for instance, the reason that we don't import uh, as much gas from Azerbaijan in the past because it's more expensive and we kind of chose from a cost perspective, we chose Russia. So this is going to be quite an upset and we're going to have to rework um, all the strategies, the approaches of the past. And yeah, I mean, horrible like the, the um, legacy for people like Angela Merkel. I mean, if you look at it, like she's kind of like, branded this entire approach of the European Union towards like renewables and how to do it and she really got it wrong. Yeah, I was going to say that and also last time we spoke we talked a lot about uh, Nord Stream 2 and that is completely out of the question right now. So that was the first thing that the European Union dropped out. Uh, there was a bold movement by by Germany uh, especially because Germany was one of the most dependent in energy from Russia. Uh, I was talking with a friend over the weekend and he's from Spain and he was saying to me that uh, most of their oil or in gas comes from Marocco's and come from other regions. Uh, but unfortunately, the pipelines, they end in um, Spain, so they are not connected with the European uh Pipeline, so they cannot shift that to Italy or other regions, and of course, using uh, trucks to transport that it's not cheap. So that's one of the things that are driving the prices uh, up and up here uh, and all over Europe. Yeah, we had um, uh, in in Luxembourg. I also saw because it's not just the gas prices, also the petrol prices that have been affected. Um, and did you did you have that spike in in Italy as well? We we had we sort of had like a one or two day spike of the prices for about uh, forty five fifty cents uh, a liter. Did you have that as well? Because we had sort of like a, a a price spike and then it went back down to a bit more of a normal. I mean, normal. What is normal these days, right? But uh, did you have that as well in Italy? Did you see the 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 prices? Yeah, yeah, different? it's it's definitely higher. Uh, maybe fifty cents here in Milan. Uh, other regions, you can get as high as uh, an euro, 
higher than usual. Right. So it depends on the region, but yeah, definitely uh, gas prices are up and people on TikTok are making fun of it and crazy about how, how costly it is to, to drive cars nowadays. And let me tell you, Fabio, I won the lottery and I filled up my tank with five liters of, of petrol and I bought uh, uh, some some vegetables as well. So uh, <laughs> inflation and, uh, and and sanctions do have an effect. And uh, I mean, what what I I'm not, I wanted to get your take on this as well, because I saw a bit of a discussion on this on Twitter, because now um, if you complain about sort of the petrol prices, then there's this reaction is like, oh, so. Like, do you think we should not have sanctions on Russia? And I think to me, that's like the wrong approach because these are ultimately, there's still two different things. You can simultaneously say we should have sanctions on Russia and we were very ill prepared for the situation in the first place. And in my view as well, the taxes really make up a big part of these prices anyway. So if the leaders were genuine about feathering the, 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 the spike of these prices, they could do something about it immediately. Absolutely. Here in Italy, it's more than 50% of the gas price is taxes. Incredible. So it can get as high, I think it's 53% for diesel. Um, so it's really expensive. And taxes, of course, play a, a, key, a key role here. And I agree with you. The, when regards to sanctions, of course, here in the Consumer Choice, we are against any kind of sanctions or anything that uh, limits uh, the, the free trade and free movement of goods. But in this case, what is the alternative, right? Because uh, here, when you put sanctions in Russia, of course, you're trying to push Putin to uh, act differently than he, he's acting right now. So you're trying to deter or de-escalate or something like that. Uh, but actually, the sanctions are not aimed at Putin, but at making the lives of consumers in Russia must, much worse that at the point that people will rebel or try to go against the government and try to do some kind of change. But the fact, the fact is that most of the sanctions that weren't implemented now uh, will hurt consumers in Europe and in the US much harder sometimes than consumers in, in Russia. So the point here is, of course, we don't know what to do in, in how to stop the war and how to force Putin to stop the war. Uh, in normal circumstances, we would be against any kind of sanctions or anything that would limit the free trade because we believe that consumers are the, the drivers of the economy and we need to have this free movement of goods and services. But what is the alternative, right? At this point, uh, we need to be strong. We need to send a strong message. And I think this is a strong message, even though it's consumers all around the world is going to pay for, for this uh, decision. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I think there needs to be also like good alternatives to help people out who've been affected by this. We have nothing really to do with anything of the... I mean, you have European consumers, uh, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, EU member states sometimes as well, that where people have... Uh, let's say you have a bank account at a, at a, comp at a, at a bank like Sperbank which is Russian state-owned, but you open that account because you saw an ad and you're just an EU citizen and you have nothing to do with Russia, you just have your money there... Um, now, if those, if now you can't even do a wire transfer, or withdraw money, or any of that, like there needs to be solutions to kind of like help you out because this can actually really put people in, on, under pressure. And if they take out payday loans and so on, like can you can go down a like don't go down a spiral. So there need to be also solutions to sort of prevent this from happening. And I think another thing, uh, I'm not sure if this was in Italy or something. Like I saw like a. Um, an orchestra director was fired because he's Russian. And like I see some of the most ridiculous things on Twitter where I'm like, okay, the babushka around the corner didn't invade Ukraine. She's just selling pierogies or whatever. It's like they're not responsible. I mean, to me, it's like you just, 
if you if you stigmatizing individuals like by by like choice of like boycotting a restaurant or a product to me that's kind of silly i don't know how you see it but i just like to me that doesn't really send a message of like well we want the country to change because it's not about destroying russia it's like ideally we want to see a free russia but I think you have to do that with people anyway. And, 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 and if we just now stigmatize Russians altogether, I think that's not really going to achieve that. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. People say that uh, people have the government that they deserve in the sense that they vote for their government and that's a result of their their choice. But I think uh, most Russians are against, or at least the Russians that I speak to, uh, they're against the war. Uh, as you know, everybody knows, that was uh, when he invaded, uh, it was not public why he was doing or at least the message that he was saying was much different than the message that the soldiers received and the message that the world received and the message that he was transmitting on national tv state-owned tv so i mean of course how the war started um it started in the wrong sense that um it, it was it was not for the right reasons um and of course, but we have people that are going to argue on one side or the other, but uh, finding a solution right now that is that is going to help us stop the war and de-escalate, I think, is the, the way to go here. And Europe, I think, is doing the best it can with the tools that they have. Of course, Europe don't want to go into war. They don't want to enter into war if they don't have to, even though we all suffer and feel for the friends, family, and people that we know that live in Ukraine and have been suffering with that. We want to do more and act more, but we also want to de-escalate and don't put more unnecessary lives at risk uh, at, at this point. So uh, economic sanctions, uh, they have been proved to work in the past, and it seems that it's working right now. I think it's putting a lot of pressure into Putin. It's putting a lot of pressure in Russia. And uh, the news, I think, this week is that Russia is trying to find an agreement with China to try to uh, go around the sanctions. And I think that shows desperation in Russia's side. So they need to stop the war or if they continue to go the way they are going and it doesn't seem that they are doing a lot of uh, advancements and go, moving forward with the war. They haven't been acquiring new territories. They are kind of stuck in this situation. I think this is this is going to uh, not end well for Putin. It's going to be interesting to see how the Chinese are going to react to this because I mean the Chinese. Um, I, I read some interesting uh, piece. I'm going to put it in the in the in in the description as well. It was actually an analysis by somebody who advises the the, the Communist Party in China, um, who did a whole analysis on the conflict on Putin. Um, he also laid out that uh, Chinese public opinion is actually quite divided on how to feel about this because I mean on one hand you can say like well we're an ally of Russia so we're going to support Russia no matter what but then there's also the perspective is like well we have our sovereignty and that was violated when the Japanese invaded us and so like we should kind of feel sympathetic with with the Ukrainians and and China says that it that it is that is opposed to aggressive warfare so there seems to be sort of this division and I'm not quite sure that the that the Chinese like communist party is yet to like really taken any stand that is significant like we don't really know yet how they're going to play this and so that's going to be a major part uh, in russia because if russia loses china as an ally 
uh, that could that could that could really uh, change uh, change things. Also, what you mentioned there on the sanctions is sort of an information flow. I kind of wonder, like for like, imagine like you just uh, a person lives on the uh, some 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 medium sized city in Russia, and, and I mean you consume the news, but it's all state news, and, and a lot of it is censored if you try to access websites from abroad. And now suddenly your McDonald's closes down. I just kind of wonder how this is for people and how that information flow works. I see people who now. Um, uh, in Europe, who 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 put like uh, what Google reviews on on restaurants to make people aware of what's happening? I I, I wonder how that's received. If you sort of like secluded and, and more of a non political person, um, uh, more more of a apolitical, let's say person, um, how how that works and if that actually gets through to people because. It's it's hard for me to understand like how exactly people consume the news. I mean, Russia is a country I've never actually been to, so it, it's hard for me to kind of fathom like how that this gets through to people. Like, the, yeah, the I think war it's, and how how they and it's definitely impactful. It. I think because uh, of course you look at your local McDonald's closing up, and a lot of businesses are getting out of Russia right now because Apple, Apple, Starbucks, uh, Instagram was shut down officially yesterday. Oh wow! So uh, no Instagram. On, on Russia right now, uh, influencers were crying on Instagram because they have no access and they have like a huge following uh, and people were crushing them. That's your business that, that goes yeah. away. I mean, if you can't upload, wow. Yeah, and something that I learned recently that I didn't know because of course I've never been to, to Russia as well uh, and what we know about Russia or it seems what it looks like from the outside is that Russia is this very powerful nation with a very powerful military and that that's kind of true because they invest a lot in the military more than we uh, in in the EU and they have a, a higher GDP uh, spending on, on military. But actually, the GDP of Russia is smaller than that from Florida in the United States, I learned. So that's... I saw something similar. I saw it was like Belgium, Luxembourg, well, Luxembourg has a high GDP, Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands combined, which... On the map, if you compare it, feels feels small. It's not. I mean, it's a big country, but it's not. Yeah, a and they produce oil, and they produce raw materials. They produce a lot of wheat, uh, barley, corn, uh, sunflower seeds, those kind of things. Uh, so it's a very rural and basic economy. And uh, one of the things that are making those sanctions work is because we thought that we were so dependent on Russia. And of course, in terms of energy and gas and oil, we are. But Russia's economy is much more dependent on the European Union than we are in, in dependent on Russia's economy. We, of course, we depend them on energy. And that's why it's important. We started talking here on the podcast how we need to diversify our energy mm. source because that's a must to be out of Russia or not dependent on Russia. But Russia is going to suffer it in Russia's economy is going to suffer because they are much more dependent on us than we are dependent on them. I mean, look, if I was now, if I were to build a house, I would opt for electric heating because at least with electric heating, you can kind of pick and choose later. And if you install a gas boiler, then, I mean, that's kind of what you're stuck with. And changing that is quite an investment that people are not willing to make. Um, if you do heating, and I mean, now there's, of course, these houses that require very little, but I mean, you need some energy source to heat in your house, uh, I think electric electric seems better because at least the source you can do some changes there. Even though the source might still be relying on gas for now, at least that we can kind of fluctuate and, and you know diversify uh, where we get where we get it from from uh, the grid. I mean, crazy how important. I mean, how much like Norway, uh, Canadian LNG, like all these things now floating uh, floating around that 
we would have i remember the the, the ccc when we would talk about Nord stream 2 it would, be, it would be really hard to explain this to people as sort of like an important issue it's like hey we have like quite some energy dependency and we like we don't want to we don't want to connect that all to russia it's like it would be hard to make people listen to this and now suddenly it kind of really hits home and hits hard for people that this is this is where we get our heating from in the in the winter. Yeah, and it all makes sense right now because one of the complaints of Russia with Nord Stream two, and that's why they were building in the ocean, or so it's an undersea uh, pipeline, is because originally it was designed to cross Ukraine, but that would give Ukraine more autonomy uh, and would make an invasion less likely. Because of course, if you destroy the pipelines, then Europe is completely cut off from anything coming from from Russia. So they designed it as it wouldn't pass through Ukraine. And now with the invasion, everything like falls in the pieces just come together in this like huge puzzle. And, and it's not just Nord Stream. There's also there's also the Turk Stream pipelines that uh, that connect uh, um, that connect from Russia through the through the the Black Sea to to Turkey. And so Turkey also gets significant royalties on this. And Turkey is one of those ambiguous players as well. Turkey is also the country that now, like in the morning, they say, "Hey, we're not gonna like." We, we, no, in the morning, they say at the UN, "Like, oh yeah, we uh, we we condemn this invasion. It's aggressive warfare. We shouldn't have it." And then in the afternoon, they they call Moscow and say, "We're not going to impose any sanctions." So Turkey is also like complicated in terms of like how how they deal with it. And it's unfortunately also going to be a country that we're quite dependent on um, um, for, for a lot of things. I mean, in terms of agriculture, uh, in terms of letting through not only Russian gas, but I mean, even if we even if we cut off Russian gas, still the, as the Azerbaijan pipeline that now is going to double its natural gas export goes completely through Anatolia all the way through Turkey to, to Bulgaria, Greece. And one bit of it will also connect to Italy directly in the south of Italy. So... Eventually, we're always dependent on nations. And well, I mean, of course, if you scroll down the democracy index, and you look at your business partners, that's kind of where you end up. So it's really got to be about like making your own energy and sort of like using your own res uh, 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 resources. Like Fracking, for instance, should be on the table as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I prefer my pipeline coming from uh, Turkey just for the simple fact that it's a NATO member. So in terms of dependency of energy, uh, it's better. But of course, if we are dependent on other countries and geopolitical situations change all the time, uh, it, it's not a good situation. The United States now, let's, I know we talk about Europe all the time here, but you're talking about fracking. And the United States in an, is in an amazing position right now to restart fracking or even to create new pipelines with Canada, because that's the first thing that Biden cut off the table and prices of gas in the United States are skyrocketing. So some places in uh, California, I saw $7 per gallon, which is unprecedented. For them, that's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> what is that? What is that? Like a euro is a euro of 60, euro 70 or even more than that? Euro 80? Yeah. I think something like that. It's hard to calculate because like a, a, a I gallon think it's 3.6. Like liters. Yeah, something like right, that. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And yeah, but for the Americans, it's very expensive because they are used to cheap fuels. They are used to cheap gas and uh, having that expensive changes completely the economy because you have states that are completely dependent on gas, not only for cars, because we're talking here, uh, if you imagine the Midwest uh, and even California, people drive everywhere. There's no public transport. Cars are essential. And it, the price of gas really influences uh, 
the household income and the household costs at the end of the month. So it's it's a very impact uh, and a bad impact into uh, consumers in the United States. And the funny thing is that people are trying to to make the switch to electric cars. And there's those calculations now saying how electric cars actually cost much more than paying the the price of the fuel right now. So if if you spend now with the new prices in gas, the the amount that you would spend like in eight years, I think it's something that would be like 10% of the amount that you need to put for a new car, electric car, because electric cars are very expensive. They cost more than $50,000, like the basic model. So it's a very expensive investment. If people don't have that money right now, uh, they cannot make the switch. And of course, the distribution of electric uh, system, the network so to recharge your car, and also where this electric energy is coming from. This is one thing that we talk a lot here in Europe. So where the, the electricity is coming from. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's part of I mean, exactly. That's part of it. But I mean, look, Fabio, I was on Twitter and I read all these people who told me, why, why worry about cars anyway? Just take a just take a bus and use a bike. Right. And uh, I, I read all of that stuff. I mean, we, we must have saw they've seen like the they did these photoshops where like it's like it has like a bicycle on the on the pumping station prices next to the petrol and it said zero. <laughs> um, so uh, so apparently you're supposed to switch to that. And I tweeted out, um, uh, just use a bus and just ride a bicycle is sort of the let them eat cake of, uh, of oh, the 21st century. Oh, that's brilliant, yeah. And, and, I had, and I had some people react to me. It's like, oh, no, you completely misunderstand, blah, blah, blah. And, but, but, it, but it is a sort of privileged position because if you, like, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I've been to your place in Milan. Uh, you, you, you have sort of an idea where I, uh, where, where I spend a lot of time in, in Amsterdam. These are central spots. Like, we are fortunate enough, like, through hard work that we can afford living in places that, either, I mean, close to our work or close where we want to be. It's like, we don't, we, we have the opportunity. I don't own a car. I ride a bicycle every day. But I, that, that is, I mean, if we want to talk about privilege, that is a privileged position because I can actually afford it. A lot of people don't have the privilege of like being able to afford living close to their place of work. And, you know, if you do, if, if you have work that starts super early, then the public transport system is very often not made for you. And you sort of need a car. I mean, you also sometimes need to transport stuff like, me riding a bicycle yeah i'm out every day so by the supermarket i pick up a few things every day but people like usually don't have that time like that possibility to do it so they need a car to buy a lot of things and and i, and I see this disconnect on twitter it's like the temerity of some people to suggest like oh well you don't uh, you can't afford petrol right now why didn't you just use a bicycle from the start i mean sorry i just to me it's such a like, uh, arrogant approach to the whole problem yeah, I agree with you. And of course, we're talking about Europe. But if you think about, like I said, the mid Midwest in the US or even Latin America, right. there is no public yeah. transport. People drive everywhere. And we're talking here, of course, about cars, but there are motorcycles as well, because this is cheaper and more economical for people. But even though uh, an increase in price, like we have been seeing the past weeks, especially because of the, the war, it's it's going to cost more and people cannot afford that. Yeah, I mean, we have people all over Europe that say like, hey, we need more, we need better, better uh, public transport. At the same time, the trade unions, for instance, in France, were, uh, they, were, they were complaining for years about competition rules. Like one of the good things that the European Union has done is opening uh, the rail network, for instance, competition. So a good example is that uh, a few months ago, the line between Paris and Lyon uh, was, was open to competition. And there was a first entrant to this competition with SNCF, and it's actually uh, Telenitalia. 
And so Trenitalia now runs between two French cities for a price that's much better than SNCF. So suddenly, while this, this whole accessibility of transport where you don't, because driving between Paris and Lyon is a nightmare. I've done it before. It's not fun. You do want to take the high-speed train. It's really convenient. And now there's an entrant, still a state company, but at least like there's competition on prices. So there's actually, like, there's actually a quality competition. And suddenly, it becomes more interesting to use public transport. I think uh, what we should have done like decades ago already is like look at like a private model of these transportation uh, uh, like abilities. I mean, the New York Metro subway, whatever you want to call it, was built by private uh, companies that just said like, hey, we want to get people around the city faster. And it was built privately. It was only later taken over by the, by the, by the city of New York. So I think we should really like get more creative and let companies kind of create the transportation services of the future. Because I'm not, I'm not married to the idea of only using a car. I don't own a car. I mean, I, I, why would I? And if there's a good transportation service, I'll use that. But I mean, I, I often travel to places where I rent a car because it's just, no, I don't want to be stuck in a bus for five hours. And I don't think it's too much to ask like it, it's of people to say like, hey, I don't want to spend all my day commuting in public transport. I, I just don't want to do that. That's not, that's not our way of life. I, I, th I think that's, that's fair. Yeah, I agree with you. And now people are going back to, to the offices and they cannot stay at home, some of them. Uh, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost more. People are worried. Yeah, all the academics, uh, academics, journalists, they go like, oh, just use a bike. It's like, dude, you work from home all day. I mean, why should you be chiming in on this? I mean, we work from home and like we take the different approach because we actually think of people who, who don't have that luxury. Um, so, right, Fabio, I think that's about the end of our time. I think we've done a lot of ranting today. Um, yeah, but, but it was a good um, one, I think. I, I had I think fun. So as yeah. well, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's it fun. It's good to let off some steam, vent a bit, right? So, uh, for all the listeners, uh, you can again, as I did in the last two episodes, there's some links you want to support uh, the fight of Ukraine against Russia, so you can make a donation to those places. And um, well, check out Fabio's new podcast as well. I'm sure the energy will be one of the conversations, even though it's probably not as close to home if you're covering uh, topics uh, that are closely related to Brazil. Um, but um, but yeah, and anyway, check out that podcast. Uh, check out the Consumer Choice Center website, our publications page, always new papers, new research coming out. Follow us on all the social medias. Um, yeah, Fabio, any, 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 any words for, uh, I don't know, St. Patrick's Day or any of the discussions we had? Any conclusion? No, uh, just thank you for having me here again, Bill. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And yeah, I think I'm going to have a beer today to, to enjoy St. Patrick's. and Some green beer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and let's hope the uh, unfortunate thing that is happening right now in the world ends soon and, and we can go back to normality. Absolutely agree. That was Fabio Fernandez and I was uh, one of your hosts, Bill Words. As always, then, uh, see you Thursday. Ciao. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody.